come together. Uh, and where we've been, Ephesians chapter 1, God's whole will and purpose is no mystery. Uh, he wants to pull all things together in heaven and on earth, bring them, gather them together in Christ, in him. That's a summary of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. And it's our theme for the year. And so I've looked at that, that whole thought of God wanting to gather together, whereas we live in a world and a world system that tends to fragment and scatter. Um, scripture portrays it as a place called Babylon. And, uh, and the meaning of that word literally is fragmentation and scattering. And we see that in our society. But the good news is that God is determined to pull it back together, to pull our lives together individually, to pull our families back together, to pull our society back together. That's what Jesus is about. Can you say amen? And then the second week we looked at uh, maybe one of the things we really need to understand to partner with God in that, and that is what sin really is. And we talked about it, I hope, in a way that wasn't condemning, didn't make anyone feel awkward. As a matter of fact, it was probably the most time I've ever had people come directly to me after a message and say words to the effect of, that set me free. So if you haven't heard that message, then you should probably get it. That the whole sin issue is not necessarily primarily a moralistic issue. It's actually an authority issue. And the issue is who has the authority to build your life? What are you going to give your authority away to? Or are you going to keep your authority so you can build your life and pull it together the way God wants you to? Uh, and I want to sort of... Uh, uh, continue one of the thoughts or open up one of the thoughts that I touched on there in that message, if you can remember back. I mean, I, I know so much teaching over last weekend might have uh, scrubbed our brains a bit, but but if you can remember back, I talked about our need to take on our original vocation, the original vocation of man, and that's where I want to head today. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says this, the first part of the verse, the first phrase is, you are the light of the world. Think about that, because that's a really big statement. You are the light, not of the room, you know, uh, not even of the neighbourhood, <laughs> uh, although I think it all begins there, but of the world. It, that's a big call. That should engender two reactions in us. First one is probably, that's awesome. <laughs> Second one should be, how? <laughs> what What do you mean? I mean, Jesus, that sounds a bit mystical, like light of the world. Like uh, what exactly are you saying? And And when you say world, it's like that's a big call. How can I do that? Can I do that? I mean, if we're serious, if we take Scripture seriously and we wrestle with it, it's like, am I actually really equipped to do that? Like, am I capable? And, and just because I believe in you, something is going to change. And so I want to maybe look at some of the, the foundation underneath this statement that Jesus makes because the whole Bible is a continuum. We do it a disservice when we break it up into chunks and read the bits that we like and understand uh, without understanding that it's, it's all connected. And so what I want to do is uh, go to this whole thought of vocation. You know, when I was, um, when I was in school, I was raised in uh, Catholic ed all my life. 
And uh, at the Christian Brothers College where I attended, uh, I remember as I became a, a, an older student, maybe late primary, early secondary school, uh, I, I took notice that the brothers would take a busload of senior students, um, I think it was once a term, they'd all load up on a bus while we were all in school looking out the classroom doors and we'd think these guys were lucky and they would take them away to Banyo College, I think it was, or seminary. And these were people that were really feeling like they had a vocation on their life. And I don't know what it's like now in the Catholic system, but back then, the whole thought of vocation was very different the way it was presented to how we present it now. Now, really, everything is a vocation in a sense. Vocational training or vocation is just a job. But we were taught, for right or wrong, that no, this was very different from a job. This, this was for clergy, this was for the priests or the brothers or nuns or nurses or doctors or people in the medical field because, of course, uh, the Catholic system is very big on education and the medical field. And we can thank God for that. Most of us at some point in our life should thank God for what they've built as far as schooling or uh, the medical sciences go, in spite of hiccups and bumps. Uh, But the main thing that it sort of drummed into us is that there were certain things that you did in life that were sacred. Uh, Now, I understand vocation much broader myself now. I I really do believe you can be called to be the best spray painter in the world and to reflect Jesus in that that place. You can be the best builder, the best bricklayer. You can be the best whatever, school teacher, whatever it is. You are there on vocation. You are reflecting the image of God into that that sphere. But it, it certainly just made us aware of this thought of vocation To understand vocation is to understand what is intrinsically sacred. This is intrinsically connected to what you were created for. And so I want to speak to you today about created for this. Created for this. And I'm going to run through a lot of scripture. Is that okay? I figure I saw how much Shane used. It's like I'm a lightweight. Okay, so you can handle this, but I'm going to run through uh, a lot of scripture. I'm going to follow my notes a bit because I don't want to really get this out of sync if I can help. If we go to the creation story in Genesis, you know, the book of beginnings, first book of the Bible, and it gives us the book of origins or the book of beginnings. That's literally what Genesis means. It can be viewed through different lenses and has been and and probably should be viewed through different lenses because there's more than one facet to any one scripture. Uh, some people are literalist in how they look at uh, the, the creation story particularly. And I want to look at the creation story today. Uh, They see it as a science text as such. Everything is absolutely literal. So, for example, the the seven days are are a literal seven days, etc. And uh, and that's okay. I mean, I'm not trying to create an argument. I just think you've got to beware uh, of genre confusion and you don't die on a hill that God did not ask you to die on in trying to prove your theories. It can have some problems there. You can actually be in danger when you get too literal of missing the real message of the text. Another way of looking at it through the years has been liberal. To look at it liberally as a liberal theologian, which really dis- it, it 
dismisses the unexplainable as myth and it treats it like a childlike story. And, and I think, again, totally missing the mark of what that scripture is there for. And then another way of looking at it is metaphorical. That is looking at it and trying to get your mind around what it is saying figuratively with analogies and icons that are pointing to a very real story underneath the story. And theologians have long noticed literary connections with Genesis and the book of Exodus and the construction of the tabernacle. For example, the seven days of creation sort of mirror in a way the construction of the tabernacle in Exodus, those instructions. Moses and God both finishing their work and seeing it was good and blessing the people happens in both earth, the creation of the world, and in the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Uh, The seven days of creation with God speaking. And in Exodus, when you look at the story of Moses constructing the tabernacle and getting directions from God, you have seven divisions in its construction with uh, all beginning with, and God spoke to Moses. Which sort of points to this, and I'm going to unleash this. For some of us, it might be a new concept, even though theologically it's not particularly new. But it sort of points to creation as a cosmic temple. And by cosmic, I simply mean this whole world. That this whole world is a temple. That's what it was intended to be. It's potentially the most powerful message in Genesis because being the book of beginnings, every other doctrine in Scripture basically flows out of its roots in Genesis. As I said, the concept's not new. And if you think about it, and as with any temple of any religious source, if you just forget about what the Bible's teaching and think about ancient peoples and how they worshipped, the last thing to add at completion of a temple was the image of the God worshipped. So if we look at this creation story, we see God bringing order from chaos. It begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. After describing the world as formless and void, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So the first impression or the first order that God brought, the first impression of God upon the world was light. Verse 4 says that God saw that the light was good, And he separated the light from the darkness. So here we've got like a natural metaphor for what we really understand pretty plainly in a spiritual sense, that there needs to be a separation between light and darkness, between good and evil, if you want to put it. There needs to be a discernment between the two. And and right at creation, we see a very, very big picture of it. We see it every time the sun comes up and the sun goes down, a separation of darkness and light. And this was like a natural metaphor for something that we live with as a present reality, not just with the sun coming up and down, but what we see in our world. And then at the culmination of creation, 
verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And of course, we know in another verse, it says, And he placed them in the garden. Can I just, you know, add that to our thinking? He placed them in the temple. The image of the God who the temple was made to worship, see Romans 1, see most of the Psalms, the image of the God is you. (laughs) Not some idol, some other thing. This is why when we turn to idolatry, all it is is when we turn our hearts from the Creator and begin worshipping the temple (laughs) in whatever form it is. This is what Paul talks about in Romans. This is the root of going astray with God is when we turn our eyes from the one we were made to reflect his image and we begin to worship the simple elements of the temple itself, which is really dumb when you think about it. If you thought about it in this context, it would be like coming in and I'm not going to worship Jesus, I'm going to worship the chair I sit on. Or the wallet I'm sitting on. Or the technology I hold in my hand. This is what fascinates me. This is what draws me into its world. This is what I give my time and my attention to. You with me? Are you sticking with me? Because I'm really worried that this, you know. And man right here in this verse is a collective term, of course, for humanity. You are the image in the temple. Your original vocation, our original vocation, is to bear the image of God to creation, to reflect his light. The first thing he created was light, and it was good. And then he puts us in the midst of his temple to reflect his light. Then we come to Genesis 3, if we can skip over to that and without trying to get negative, I I want to go back here again. This is like talking about sin again. This is sin (laughs) 2.0. Is that okay? Sin 2.0. Let's have a really quick look at what went wrong with that. So in Genesis 3, of course, we have the story of the temptation and Eve is at the tree and then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. If you eat this, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And we know that all ends badly, doesn't it? All ends badly. So sin is refusing the original vocation and choosing a vocation of your own. The original vocation is to bear the image of God to creation. The more we embrace original vocation, the more fully human or truly human, we are. It's, it's interesting, but as we move away from bearing his image, it leads to dehumanizing behavior, both for you know the person who's acting and for the person who's receiving. And I'll, I'll use a, a, some you know very big and difficult examples, but this trickles right down to the minute level. But you know we see the opposite of reflecting the image of God in dehumanizing behaviour of every kind: sexual immorality, using other humans for their image through sex. 
So it's an abuse of the image of God in another person. Slavery, using the image of God to build the kingdoms of men. Murder, genocide, destroying the image of God in man. Sin is refusing to reflect light, the image of God. It is the agreement to let darkness prevail in our hearts and on earth. The focus of sin is not moral imperative. And I tried to bring this home a couple of weeks ago. It's not that morals are not important, but they are not the primary thing. And when we just moralize sin, we totally misunderstand its power and our ability to harness or to control it in the sense of self-control. It's not about right or wrong. That's not what the whole sin thing is about. Remember the garden. Knowing right from wrong did not help. It led to death. Sin is primarily not a moral issue. Moral issues arise from the real problem. Sin is coming to a point of decision and refusing to reflect light. In other words, falling short of what we were created for, choosing darkness over light. And the Old Testament, you know, it ends in a very dark place. Again, I just read right through Malachi this morning, very early, and and it's all about the promise of the Messiah and the mess we're in. (laughs) The mess we're currently in, promise of a Messiah, last book of the Old Testament in our Bibles, and then there's a 400-year gap before Jesus comes on the scene. And I want to go back to the verse I began with, of course, or just before I go there, let's have a look at light as it enters the New Testament. Stick with me, we're nearly there. Are you okay? You're on the journey still? At Jesus' birth, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's what Matthew wrote about the birth of Christ. John puts it this way, in him was life and that life was the light of men. Talking about Jesus. Contrast this with the world, Jesus himself speaking. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. I find this passage really, really interesting because you can read it a few different ways. Uh, But Jesus is saying, you know, if you take that in context in the verses previously, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn it. I came into the world that the world might be saved. God is not interested in condemning even, even bad people. This is the condemnation. God doesn't condemn people. People condemn themselves to a life less human when they choose to pursue darkness. It is a choice that you make. You choose to pursue a life less human every time you refuse to reflect light. You know, even as a, as a kid, I guess when I think about it, or even as an adult, <laughs> it's funny how darkness is not where you really want to be. Particularly as a, as a kid, there's, you've got it like an aversion to darkness, haven't you? Things that go bump in the night, terrify. And I'm not sure that we actually lose that as adults. I mean, one of my favourite things to do is, is getting out on a farm and being in the middle of nowhere and pulling up in the ute 
turning all the lights off and just walking out into a paddock and looking up at the Milky Way and it's just like, and you just see the stars in a way that you never see them in the city here. It just looks absolutely glorious. But then inevitably, what moves me back to the ute is I hear something squeal, grunt, cry out in the night, rustle in the grass. And it's like, I know there's nothing out here because I've driven around this paddock all day, but I'm still going back to the ute. There is some sort of, a, I don't know what's out there. And even the biggest blokes amongst us would admit it. If you're alone, if you're with your mates, you're not, you're all. Yeah, that was nothing. That was just nothing. On the inside, you're like, I just want to run back to the ute. On the outside, it's like, that was nothing. Don't worry about it, mate. When you're by yourself, I'm telling you now, you don't hang around. It's just like, back to the ute. I've seen the Milky Way tonight. I don't need to see it anymore. But when you're doing something that you know would be frowned upon, it's often done under cover of darkness. And then we come to the church, we come to Jesus calling us. And, and I want to get back to this whole, you are the light of the world. I mean, how does that work and am I equipped to do it? I hope I've already answered that. You were created for one purpose. Your original vocation was to reflect light. Uh, you, you're not just capable of it, you were created for it. You were made with this in mind. This, this is, for so many people, the missing piece of their puzzle, no matter how successful they might be. It's why you can be highly successful by this world's standards and still have a piece that you know is missing but just not know what it is because you were created for one thing. So here we have the church and Jesus, his followers. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, you know, Jesus saying you're the light of the world, as much as it might seem like a big thing, it's actually not a mystery. All it is is a call, simply a call back to original vocation. When Jesus says that, it's like, will you, would you, would you return to that place? Would you return to that place of honour in his temple that you've been given an incredible vocation to reflect the image of the God worshipped by all of creation. Would you be his reflector, his original vocation? That was your job. That was your sacred place, your sacred space carved out especially for you. And interestingly, I just want to notice the corporate nature of city. You're a city set on a hill. Jesus was talking to groups of people. He, he wasn't, we read this as an individual. What do I do? But this is about as individualistic a scripture as, you know, as conjoined twins. There's no individualism in it. We are part of the same thing. This is a collective thing. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. Hashtag come together. 
But interestingly, Jesus gathers us to himself and then there is a major theme throughout the New Testament on dividing light from darkness. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter describing again the church, us. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. The corporate nature again is seen of calling. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And talking about sons, it's talking positionally, not gender, okay? As sons of God, sons received an inheritance. So that's the language of Scripture. But it is corporate. It is humankind. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, you had too much Scripture yet? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I I love this passage because um, I guess it was my story. It was fairly dramatic because I I didn't meet Jesus till I was 21 years of age. But the fact is Christians come from somewhere. There's not a secret factory that pops them out as they are. You know, most people just look at a Christian and they just think, you've just always been a God-botherer. And as a matter of fact, it's not true. You were once darkness. Every Christian at some point had to make that decision. I choose. I choose that vocation. I choose to reflect light. I choose to walk away from the darkness of this world and its system and the corruption of what is passing away. And I'm choosing to live on a different level. So Christians, they come from somewhere. And God calls us out of this world. Another passage that I didn't have time, just deleted so many scriptures because we just didn't have time. But he's called us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Romans chapter 13, verse 12. And I love this because it gets right back to Genesis, I think, with some of the, some of the um, uh, analogy that Paul uses here. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on, Paul says it this way, the armour of light. Let us put on our original vocation. Let us be clothed with the image we were meant to always reflect the greatest antidote to, to, you know, to our world is, is not to fight the darkness. It's to turn on the light. The, the fastest way to get the light out of this room is just to hit a light switch. It's not to run around with a butterfly net trying to get the darkness out. And that's what Paul's saying. Come on, the, clothe yourself. Put on that which will keep you and cause you to reflect what you always meant to reflect. It is not about being good or bad. It's about being new. This is why Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things of the darkness have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You become shiny, brand new, ready to reflect 
his image to all of creation. So I want to ask us some questions and, and we can think about this and we can apply it to our life as far as our journey and where we're at and, and how we live in this present time. I want to encourage you to take up original vocation. Here's some way, things we probably do need to wrestle with. Are your thoughts moving you toward the darkness or the light? Are your thoughts? Think, what is going on in your head? I've said it again and again and again because it's just so true. The biggest problem we have is we don't think about what we're thinking about. We just let it lead us and we let our thoughts lead without capturing thoughts, making them obedient to Christ. So are your thoughts leading you towards darkness or leading you towards night? Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Do my words reflect light? You know, Paul says in Colossians 4, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Do my words reflect light to people? It's pretty hard to do that. You, when you become aware of these things, it's really hard to get negative without knowing in yourself. You want to punch your own self in the face. It's like, I just was really negative then. Come on, who, who has ever, you're in a good place if you beat yourself up for things that you need to be beaten up for, like being tremendously sarcastic or negative or, or putting down or speaking wrongly about someone else made in the image of God. If you become aware of that, you can be healed of that. And you can determine, I, I'm going to reflect light. And if I can't say something that reflects light, I'm not going to say anything at all. And that's pretty hard to do. James says, if you can, uh, if you can master your tongue, you can control your whole body, your whole life. Are my actions in any situation a revelation of light? And I find myself, and I find myself in the middle of an argument or a difficult thing. Here's one thing I'd say just about Shane, you know. It's funny, over the course of a few days with Shane, there's always a few people that will go and have a dig at Shane or whatever. And I've never seen him be anything but incredibly gracious, even when I haven't wanted to be. That's why I can say he's more of a Christian than me. I get convicted hanging around him. He's just always determined to bring grace. How about you? In any situation you find yourself, particularly the difficult ones, are you a reflection of light? And these aren't things to make us feel guilty. These, these are things for us to determine. I want to put on my original vocation. I, I want to make sure that I've got it on and I've got it buttoned up. And in every situation, my actions are reflecting light. If my life was a signpost, which kingdom would it point to? kingdom of God or the kingdom of man where, where God reigns or where man rules and reigns another question I, I think is worth us asking is what lights you up the things of dust or the opportunity to represent is, is our worship is, is what we're excited about enthused about investing in spending time on is it something temporal of dust or is it something that reflects the eternal and, and I, you know, in, in one sense, we've all got to live. But I think you know what I mean. When we're invested in the things of this earth, 
it's so easy to turn them into an idol. For a, a bit more of a personal application, some things to leave you with. Knowing all these things, what will I bring to my marriage? Even when I walk out of this place. Maybe some of us just, you know, church has this way of ambushing you sometimes. But maybe for some of us, we just go, you know what, I could walk out of here and there's maybe some things that have been unsaid for too long. Or maybe I've been sitting on saying some things, I'm going to say it, It's I'm going to do it one day, I'm going to say what I really think. And I do urge you, friend, instead think of how can I bring light? If I'm going to speak, rather than accusation and resentment or whatnot, yes, you do need to speak, but speak light. Let there be. What about with your children? It could be just things where it's like, you know what? I just need to bring light to my kids to the through the frustration, through the pain, through the angst of parenting. I've got to bring light. Uh, with friendships, what will I bring to my friendships? What will I bring to my life group? Hey, life group leaders, I'm all for you. What will I bring? Not what, what will I go and get? What will I bring? Church gatherings, just, just like this and all kinds of times we get together, we come together. What will I bring? Not what will, well, I don't think I'll go to that one because there's nothing in it for me. <sighs> hey, you can't be at everything. I understand that. But, but don't ever make that the reason. Maybe the only time to not go is when you go, I don't think I've got anything to bring to that. What will I bring when we gather? What will I bring to my school as a student, as a teacher, as an educator? What what will I bring that reflects light where I work? And, And, you know, you might not be in a Christian environment in that sense, so... The light is probably going to be dazzlingly bright, whatever you bring. But you've got an opportunity. What will I bring to my place of business? What will I bring to that sporting club I'm part of? What will I bring? Because we all have the opportunity. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And it's not, it's not a mystery. It's not, it's not some big ask. It's a return to what was always meant to be you are the light bearer you are the image bearer in his temple which is not confined by the four walls of a building and it was maybe getting stories like that wrong in Genesis that led us to worship buildings for a thousand years or so and not actually understand that the whole thing belongs to him the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof And sacred space is anywhere where his image is born. And this is why in the verse before the one I just read, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Then he says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Wherever a grain of salt falls is sacred space because you reflect the image of your creator. Amen. Let's pray really quick.
Would you stand with me as we do? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you for the incredible honour, the privilege it is to bear your image, to be restored, renewed, born again in Jesus Christ. Literally to, to be given a new reflector so that we can be who we were always created to be. We are created for this. And so, Father, it's an incredible privilege and I pray for us this morning as, as we do wrestle with your word for our own lives, our own situations. Father, I, I pray for a grace to receive and a grace from heaven to say yes, a grace to go forward, a grace to be what you've called us to be. And Father, we, we receive it. Come on, if, if you're here and you just feel God's been speaking to your heart, why don't you just slip a hand to heaven? Lord, just grace. We just receive grace to be who we're created to be. We don't shun the invitation. We accept the invitation. We want to say yes to being image bearers, to bearing your image to all of creation in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let your grace rest upon us. Let your goodness rest upon us. Let the power of the Holy Spirit fill us and enable us to be who we need to be in this world. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we just stay in this moment just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a moment? You know, I've been talking about what we're created for. And at one point I sort of mentioned that, you know, you can even be successful in this world's way of doing things, this world's eyes, and there's nothing wrong particularly with, with you know, doing well in life. But I said that you can still feel empty, you can still feel like something's missing. And friend, I suggest it's actually accepting what you were created for. And at this point in every service at New Hope, I always give everyone the opportunity to to make sure that you've actually said yes to God in that capacity. You've actually said, I will embrace what I was created for. Um, and the Bible story tells us that Jesus came as the perfect image of God. He reflected who God really is. And he came and he brought healing, he brought life, he brought forgiveness and he brought future to people everywhere he went. And if you want that to be part of your story today, if you'd say, you know what, if that's what Jesus does, then I want to walk with Jesus. Then I want to give you the opportunity to make that decision this morning. Just make it very intentionally. I think it is something that needs to be made very intentionally. I'm choosing to let God's story become part of my story. And in a moment, we're going to pray this very simple prayer on the screen together. But while every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Friend, if that's you and you'd say, Chris, I need, I need Jesus in my life. I need God's story to become my story. You just want to enter into what God's got for you right now, today. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down again and we're going to pray together. But friend, if that's you, I'm giving you a moment to just be intentional. Won't stay here long because I don't want anyone to feel awkward. But I think it's a very precious moment. And you're at a point of decision where it's like, am I going to really allow God in to my life? 
and allow God's story to become part of mine. If that's you, just right now, right where you are, just raise up your hand and then we're going to all pray together. Fantastic. One more look across. One more moment. Awesome. Let's look up the screen. Church, let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I'll follow you. Amen. And that's really as simple as it is, isn't it? Choosing to follow Jesus. That was the first thing he said to people that we see. Really, come follow me. And, uh, and it really doesn't get any more complex than that. So if you've made that decision this morning, James is just going to come and tell you how we can help you with that and empower you with that. For the rest of us, let's just go and determine to reflect light, to speak light, to think light, to be light wherever we are. You are the light of the world. Amen.